Hi, I'm Elise. And I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, The Siege, teleplay by Michael Piller and directed by Winrick Colby. This episode aired on October 10th, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, Cisco tries to prevent the Circle from taking the station, and Kira and Dax take proof that the Cardassians are the real force that's arming the Circle to the Bajoran government. Dun dun dun! It's it's all it's all coming together. Here we are, season two, episode three, the siege, the climax of what is commonly referred to as the Circle trilogy that opened season two. So I love a trilogy, but I always tend to like the first and second episodes of a trilogy more. I don't know if it's just like I love the setup. And then, like, the conclusion is harder to sell me on. I really liked this episode, but I'm just saying that I liked the previous two episodes slightly more. But I think that's just, like, a me thing. So this this is the rise of the Sky- the rise of Skywalker of, of the Deep Space Nine Circle trilogy? Um, I would never put any episode, <laughs> even the last... Hi, I'm Elise. And I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series. This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 3, The Siege, teleplay by Michael Piller and directed by Winrick Colby. This episode aired on October 10th, 1993. This week on Deep Space Nine, Cisco tries to prevent the Circle from taking the station, and Kira and Dax take proof that the Cardassians are the real force that's arming the Circle to the Bajoran government. Dun dun dun! It's, it's, all, it's all coming together. Here we are. Season 2, Episode 3, The Siege, the climax of what is commonly referred to as the Circle Trilogy that opened Season 2. So, I love a trilogy, but I always tend to like the first and second episodes of a trilogy more. I don't know if it's just, like, I love the setup, and then, like, the conclusion is harder to sell me on. I really liked this episode, but I'm just saying that I liked the previous two episodes slightly more. But I think that's just, like, a me thing. So this this is the rise of the sky, the rise of Skywalker of, of the Deep Space Nine Circle trilogy. Um, I would never put any episode, <laughs> even the like horrible episodes of Deep Space Nine, on the same level as the Rise of Skywalker. <laughs> uh, sorry to our listeners who like the Rise of Skywalker. Are we though? Um, 
I mean, I I'm joking. <laughs> make love, not war. Make love, not war. Um, yeah, no, I definitely hear you, and I like I kept. I kept thinking when I was watching the episode this week, if I would have enjoyed this third part more, if I had just sat down and watched all three parts kind of together as a cohesive like TV movie right. sort of thing, where mm-hmm. I didn't have those like two weeks in between um, watching part one and part two, if it, if part three would have landed a bit more solid for me um i guess i could do that at some point to (laughs) (laughs) answer my own more partially rhetorical thought experiment question um but yeah like they definitely they aired this way too so i'd be be curious to know what the response was to the the conclusion back in 90 in october of 93 right. you know i also would like to hear if any of our listeners did actually watch these three right like one right after another if you want to tweet at us and let us know how that worked for you if it worked differently than watching them you know week to week yeah and like we had even kind of to to peel back the curtain a little bit in terms of the planning um we had briefly discussed watching them all like together and doing like a kind of one long episode to be able to talk about um, the storylines and like Lee Alice's arc and things like that all at all at once, but elected to do it this way because that's how it how it aired. Um, embassy obviously our emissary obviously we did um, the two parts together because that's how it's aired. Um, when we get to season four, Way of the Warrior aired as a television movie so we'll do both parts of that at, at once um but yeah i just would have been curious if we had had done it the other way i wonder if i'd be feeling any different about part three right i will say that this episode made me a little weepy at times like in regard to families and friends separating like the scene with miles right. and then keiko and molly i mean obviously they're gonna have the main staff not leave the station like logistically for the plot purposes but um you can really tell that miles feelings about the cardassians was like adding to him wanting to stay on deep space nine and make sure everything went all right i also really enjoyed i wa- i enjoyed the scene with um nog and jake saying goodbye um yeah Nog is such a good friend to Jake. Like, Jake was so upset, and Nog's like, our parents can't even keep us separated. This coop day isn't going to either. (laughs) (laughs) I just love that he was like, no French thing is going to keep us apart. (laughs) I found that to be really funny. Um, Nog is lovely. And I really, um, you know, the the scene with Ben and Jake separating kind of went as you would expect, I feel like, um... They, you know, they just, it was sweet, but I don't really have much more to say on that. What do you think <clears throat> was in the letter that um, we never got to see? I think it was, like, telling him just how much he loved him, but also, like, here's the password for, like, my retirement plan. 
kind of information. Yeah, yeah it was it was it was definitely probably like a love you like you like you forever, love you for always. Sort yeah. Of. I'm probably like dead, so dead. here's some yeah. information that you need to Yeah, know. that was my that yeah. was my inference as yeah. well. Um I was glad they threw in the comedy aspect of Cork selling tickets to the three available runabouts because otherwise these episodes <laughs> would have been really serious. Not that there's anything yeah. wrong with a serious episode, but I do enjoy having the Frankie there for some comic relief. Um it just, it really does add to the story. Um, but it was, yeah. kinda, it was like so, fr- I felt so bad for Cisco having to like deal with all of that on top of everything else he was dealing with. Yeah. And I think that that, yeah, I think you're exactly correct. And I think that that's something that this episode did, I think, particularly well is in balancing tones where like it is quite serious and the stakes are quite high and the stakes are political they're emotional they're personal they're like well more than global they're intergalactic <laughs> um intergalactic but have those, those planetary planetary intergalactic <laughs> sorry no, no it's stuck in my head so uh, listeners Mission before accomplished. I, uh, before i had hootie and the blowfish going through my head and now i have the beastie boys going through my head um land of contrast land of contrast over here um what was i gonna say yeah no but the way that the episode mixed tones and like the levity worked but it wasn't too heavy-handed between you know some of the more slapstick stuff as quark drags around his briefcase of latinum and telling people it's all his family mementos and they're like they're just not having it um to I know we'll get into it later, but some of the stuff on the the moon with the the sublight kind of orbital fighter and like the banter between Dax and Kira, I worked really well for me as well. Yeah, and I I, I think as I sit here and, and think about it more and we talk about it more, there are definitely like moments and like character moments specifically in this episode that I really enjoyed. Again, when they're when the Starfleet crew and Quark um, <laughs> are like, and I guess technically Odo too, are like hanging out in the um, the conduits. I want to call them the Jeffries tubes, but they're not probably called <laughs> Jeffries tubes on a on a Cardassian station. Um, and they're all talking about the field rations and stuff like that. The, oh, like, the combat those rations. Those are real. I loved it. Yeah, yeah. Like those are like kind of those those are really good like character moments and character beats that I think. Deep Space Nine at its best does really well. Yeah. Um, but in terms of like it being the third part of the kind of three episode arc, it did kind of have that, oh, we only have 45 minutes to wrap this up. So it's like, you know, have lots of setup. Then at the end, everything happens so quickly and then it's done. Like, you know what I mean? Which again, like it's serialized TV. So and like 90 syndicated TV that's flirting with serialization. Right. Um, so, like, fair enough. It's not going to kind of, like, get drawn out more than that. And that's fine. But I think that's where, too, like, maybe if I had watched them all together, it wouldn't have felt so quick. Right. Um, I just, I go to go back to the combat rashes real quick. Cisco saying, you can thank Chief O'Brien for your repast this afternoon. Just, like, I don't know why, but it was, like, 
Avery Brooks's reading of that line, I was hysterically laughing. I just yeah, thought that was. So, I just think it's his also his use of the word repast, which is like such a formal word. Like when I think of a repast, I think of like the meal after a funeral. <laughs> so I just yeah. like it's just um, I was amused by that. <laughs> And um, also, like, in addition to what you're saying about the fun character stuff, I was just so happy that Dax had a lot more to do this episode. I think we start to get some of her personality coming through. Um, and obviously, she there had, have been Dax-centered um, episodes, but I feel like the episodes that are not specifically about Dax, she's just kind of in the background doing some science shit, which, like... I don't know. I just really liked that she had, like, more to do with the plot. And I hope that people that are watching for the first time can start to see why I love her so much. Yeah, for sure. And we talked a little bit last season about some of the comments Terry Farrell has made, you know, since the show aired. And I think it even came up in the What We Left Behind documentary on, on Deep Space Nine that came out a couple years ago. Um, but Farrell spoke about some of the kind of conflicting feedback and note she was getting about who Dax was. Like, I think she mentions one minute, there's like, oh, you're Grace Kelly. And then the next moment you're like Yoda. Right. And this episode really felt like who Dax, the Dax that I remember from having watching the show and going back kind of is, and then a little bit more of that kind of humorous kind of almost like has a roguish streak um and a little bit of kind of like that that sarcastic fun playful roguish streak um so i would we love to see it and i also like that i feel like prior to now they and this adds on to what you've said but like they've acted as if she's like perfect all the time and i definitely like you start to get the impression that that's not true like she doubts herself in this episode and it's not in a Oh, that woman's... That, like, I do think that there's something to, like... Obviously, everyone's allowed to have their feelings. But I do think the trope of, like, woman who is amazing doubting herself being, like, okay, come on, you're pretty great. Like, I, I can see getting a little annoyed at that. And I'm glad I don't feel that way when she's doubting herself. It felt really natural to me. Which I'll, right. I'll get into that in a little bit. Before we dive kind of into the the plot and you know the more more specifics of the episode and while we're still talking about initial thoughts i guess is what i'm trying to say um (laughs) did the colonel no so not the general just the colonel Mm -hmm. of the um bajoran military slash acting for the circle performing the so-called french thing as as nog (laughs) so so eloquently called the coup d'etat um did he have major, like, goose-stepping Aryan vibes to you, too? Um, yes. Okay. I was like, this guy and I would not get along very well. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I thought that, like, I mean, that it's just an interesting way that they, like, obviously that character is bad. Um, right. But the way they kind of use that kind of coded shorthand of casting this, like, very perfect looking blonde hair, blue eyed yeah. Bajoran. Yeah. <laughs> to pay this like Bajoran and kind of like trade in those kind of um not tropes, but 
like they could be an extra from oops i just punched my mic <laughs> um it's like they <laughs> it's like they picked them off the casting list for schindler's list or something it's like he's, <laughs> you know i was thinking he could be one of the nazis in the man in the high castle so similarly mm-hmm. yeah or in yeah. the or an extra on one of my guilty i don't like guilty pleasure that whole concept but one of my movies i loved as a kid swing kids which i am i should i should revisit that as an adult young christian bale i've never heard of it oh my gosh we will yeah. have a whole conversation about that when we are done recording this <laughs> oh, i look forward to it yes it's wonderful i it probably is not wonderful it was wonderful when i was a teenager we'll find out no, this is different from Newsies, right? Which Christian yeah, Bale is also completely in. a different okay. movie. Um, he they're okay. a little older. Um, and Sean, it's not Empire so, of the Sun when he was a correct. small little boy. And um, Sean Patrick Leonard is also <laughs> in it. Um, yeah, we. I have to tell you all about this movie. Okay. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. Do you want to start with uh, what's going on on Deep Space Nine? Sure, Elise. What's going on on Deep Space Nine? Well, Cisco it has to tell all of the Starfleet people that they're technically supposed to leave because the provisional government isn't like supporting them being there anymore. Um, but of course, all of our senior officers are like, yeah, we're going to hang um, and uh, try to get us through all of this. So basically, every character that we um, know of is staying or doing another mission type of thing um so cisco basically just wants to hold the station long enough until the evidence of the cardassian interference in that weapons uh ring is brought to the attention of the chamber of ministers on bajor and they're like very like we have less than five hours until the assault vessels arrive which i feel like there's another point in the episode where the time is mentioned and it implies to me that they are dealing with the people from the assault vessels for a long time. Um, I did find, well, when it, when the whole thing with Quark's um, little uh, ticket to the runabout scam comes to a head, there's all those Bajorans <laughs> that are trying to get onto the runabouts. And I really felt like Lee Nollis did like an Independence Day type um, speech here. <laughs> Like, we're not, we yes. don't run from a fight, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, this is our Independence Day. Yeah, it was, Richard Baymar gives a great speech as Alina Ellis in that, in that moment. It ruled. Um, it did make me wonder later in the episode when the military shows up and, you know, it's like the the station's then supposed to be deserted and basically it's just the um the insurrection of the Starfleet officers in the you know, doing their, their little things and buying time and it's like, where are all the Bajorans that Lee so patriotically convinced to stay on the station? Are they just like chilling in their rooms <laughs> waiting for like stuff to be over? Yeah, like we never see them they're again. Like, yeah, like, you know what I mean? So it's just kind of yeah. like, it's like, oh, like, the station's deserted. It's like, no, there wasn't enough runabouts. Like, where are these people? 
Also, yeah, like, are they just hiding in other conduits or are they just hanging in their quarters watching Netflix? Like, what are they doing to pass the time? Well, they can't be watching Netflix because, like, they cut the power to the station at times, yeah. like, right? So it's like... Well, if they have it downloaded to their pad, maybe they'll be able to watch it. Uh, maybe, but, like, <laughs> l- lest we forget that in 90s Star Trek, um, different books are on different pads. They, they oh, don't have one, one tablet, right? <laughs> they set up, so. like, a library system, like, just for this, like, 10 hours so they can share entertainment. <laughs> yeah. I think they also have, like, lamb's blood over the doors of their quarters. Just to, like, <laughs> chill out and... We love a Passover joke, folks, don't we? Um. <laughs> um. <laughs> that was good. So General Krim and company uh, show up, and our friends are hiding, as we were saying, and... I did feel right away that the colonel seemed to be like a minister Jaro cheerleader type. Like I, and I, it probably has to do with how he spoke to minister Jaro, like on the comms, but also just as you mentioned earlier, how his, the look about him, they really were not subtle in that casting at all. Um, so yeah, yeah so I felt like he was like, you know, definitely a baddie from like the, the second we saw him. In this episode. Stepping moron. That was the worst Sean Connery accent ever. <laughs> to all of our listeners. Um, I mean, moron. it's fine. Chenish. Chenish. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> um, how did you feel about Odo being becoming a tripwire to trip the military people? I enjoyed it. It's also a nice little bit of kind of, you know, slapstick and like non-lethal, like quick thinking because, you know, we know that Odo is a strange cop and that he abhors guns um, and doesn't ever use them. So points, points for Odo there. Um, So, yeah, no, I mean, it's just and and Odo's just doing his best. And you know what? We we can support that. Yeah, Um, I found it to be really funny. I was watching this with my friend AJ, and he had mentioned that up until this point, because I feel like there was a whole storyline, I don't know if it happened yet, where, like, Odo talks about he doesn't know how to, like, change into certain objects, so I think it's always funny when he just becomes these random objects early on, because I feel like that was, like, before they tried to, like, have a conversation about that thing. I don't know if that's something I'm misremembering. But, um, so I don't know if that's, like, a continuity error, but I also don't care, because it was great. Yeah, and I think that, like, where, like, maybe, because it's, it's, it's relatively, like, simple shapes. Yeah. Um, like, (laughs) we can, we can get more into, um, the complexities of changeling lore and continuity kind of as as the show goes on and we we see more about odo and like learn more about odo yeah um but like the reason his face looks the way it does and he's all smooth his faces are difficult yeah which i get completely Um, and i do and i and i i want to mention to listeners that us talking about continuity 
errors in this way is for fun and we don't actually care <laughs> that much um <laughs> it's it's fine <laughs> uh yeah no like I, I mean not to yeah we'll just leave it there i don't have to redo this discourse um but i that's my opinion as well because ultimately it's like it doesn't matter because it's a tv show right it's written over years and different people and it's like it's not gonna gonna remember everything that they did no and it's like just because you do because you can reference wikipedia or you've seen the episodes more times than the people who create the show doesn't mean your opinion is more valid or whatever like it's it's fun to point out some kind of the possible inconsistencies but like like you say it ultimately doesn't matter and i do find that inconsistencies like that make it actually more enjoyable for me like when it doesn't make sense like i enjoy that Were you expecting to see um, General Krim back in this episode after, again, we talked about when Cisco goes to visit him and offers information without offering a trade for Kira and things like that? Like, were you surprised to see Krim back? Or I wasn't surprised. How, how do you feel about Krim? I, mean, <laughs> I, I definitely wasn't surprised, but I did not have any expectations it does make sense that the general we met in the previous episode is the general that excuse me is the general that comes to deep space nine um right i could have also seen a version where it was a different general that came and like dax and kira like also got general crim involved in there here's the evidence conversation like that wouldn't have surprised me either um especially since crim commented last time about cisco kind of doing the more honorable thing with the information he had like i wouldn't have been surprised if crim like was involved in the like believing them right away part of it well, and, and like, he was also, like, pre-exposed to kind of that, that information. So I think when um, the goose-stepping Bajoran colonel um, gets captured and then Cisco tells him what the play is and then he then the colonel withholds that information from Krim, um, Krim might have handled himself differently had the colonel not lied to him, Right, right. So this is basically where we find out that our feelings are correct and that the colonel is indeed a baddie. He looks around and said, "We're the bad are we the baddies?" <laughs> <laughs> um How do you feel about Cisco kind of using Linalis to convince Krim that he's on the wrong side when it does eventually come out? And then Lee says to Cisco, I die for my people. And I did find it interesting that Cisco's basically like, of course you would. Dying would get you off the hook. And it just brought it back to the beginning of when Cisco and Lee Nollis had that first conversation where Lee Nollis tells him about the underwear story and how killing Gull, I forget which Gull it was, um, was kind of just like a, not an accident, but like it wasn't like a... Pl- plan strategic move 
Yeah. And I, I think that, like, what am I trying to say? I think for me, the real strength of these episodes is Lee Nollis's arc and, like, the way it, you know, strips apart, like, behind every myth is, like, a man and he's just a man. <laughs> um, and, like, the way it examines hero worship and what the, you know, with the the reality of people just being people. And like, in some ways when people are just people and we recognize that through all their, their faults and their secrecies, like, at least for me, there's more power in that than like being super general spy, hand to hand combat, James Bond revolutionary leader. Um, cause like, I don't, I don't recognize those people cause those people are like myths. They're superhuman. They might as well be like fucking Thor or Hercules or right. something like mm-hmm. that. Right. But I find it easy to kind of connect with them when it's like, they're just people. And I think that's where, despite this episode bringing a lot of the kind of the thematic, the thematic themes still continuing a lot of the themes <laughs> from the first two episodes. And of course we get our, our big kind of geopolitical plot conclusion and, you know, dramatic moments and sneaking through the Capitol and, and all these things like that. I just, the way the episode kind of ends, it's like, it almost like, and I don't know if this is like a nine view Star Trek status quo sort of thing, but like it, It gets so close to saying something really interesting and important, and then in the end, it's just like, nope, that's all. Like, you know what I mean? Like, right. no, hero worship, good. It's a it's a political tool, which like, yeah, it is, but like, uh, I don't know. No, I, I understand. I have thoughts; they're not fully formed. No, I completely understand what you're saying. Like, like Cisco. Like, I felt like I felt a little dirty, like watching. Cisco talk about like using Linalis in this way and then how the story ends and that his memory is going to be very different from how he was which may be good for their cause but what about respecting Linalis for who he actually was like that is lost you know what I mean yeah and like his and I mean, I did enjoy his like final moments, like right. his little chuckle and his last, his dying words are literally off the hook. I guess I am off the hook or, or something to that effect. But like, Lee Nollis is just a man. It's a complicated man who literally jumped in front of a bullet to protect Cisco. Yeah. Uh, well, not a bullet, a phaser blast, but like, you know what I mean? I and it's like, same difference. He didn't. Based on everything we saw in the previous two episodes in the course of this one, it's like he didn't do that for the same reasons he tried to sneak on that freighter in season two, episode one in, in the circle. Um, no, wait, it was Homecoming? The What's homecoming. the first episode? The called? homecoming. The homecoming. Mm-hmm. Right. They all have the. And he like <laughs> he didn't do that for the same reasons he tried to run away in the homecoming. He did it because. 
he was trying to protect this dude that was nice to him that he was becoming friends with and whatever. And yeah, he ends up getting off the hook. And yeah, like we I alluded to last week, um, when you have big guest stars, they either are the villain. <laughs> like we have with <laughs> Ray Langella and Minister Charo, yeah. or they have this kind of tragic arc and end up dying. Yeah. Right? We Shannon Richard Baymar and Lee Nellis. Um But him having all of those fears and just insecurities and complex feelings, just the realities of being a sentient being. I mean, he's not human, but being human. Um, I find that remark offensive. It makes us... Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> thank, thank you, Star Trek 6. Um, <laughs> inalienable human rights. Um, the very name. But that makes his, his, his actions more mm-hmm. powerful to me than just looking at all these great things he was going to do and whatever. Right. It's like... And, and I guess to like quote Star sorry, just one more thing, the quote yeah, Star yeah. Trek against itself <laughs> in First Contact when they're talking with, with Seth from Cochran, I think this is, is Riker who's talking to him and he throws something Cochran will say eventually back at this younger version of himself and says, you don't have to be a good man, just be a man and let history figure out the rest. Like, I guess that's something similar here, but like, I don't know. I just, feelings. Yeah, and like, and I don't mean to say in any way that Lee Nollis isn't awesome because I do think a good person is going to jump in front of a phaser for someone else. Like, that's a, that's like a nice thing to do, even though he dies. So, like, I don't, I definitely don't mean like he's not great. It's just, he, as you said, he did that because Ben was, Cisco was becoming his friend, not because he was, I don't think he was like, actively thinking like i have to save i have to do this for like the government he was just doing it like that's my new friend i'm gonna try to protect him yeah yeah and i guess we should say just kind of fill in in the facts that it's our, our our baddie colonel who tries to shoot cisco when he realizes that the coup's undone and the general's standing down and you know been recalled to Bajor because of events we're about to to talk about in the next section um and the colonel's like no I love Jairo so much I'm gonna kill Commander Cisco and was that his voice <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah we got a little ahead of um, ourselves um there sorry yeah. folks sorry about that sorry. but um yeah the colonel bad and Krim finds out that he has been lied to, which is good. <clears throat> um, before we move on to Dax and Kira, is this the first reference to Quark's mother? We don't have her name yet, but I was just noticing that uh, I don't know if she's gotten mentioned before. Never joke about a Ferengi's mother. It's one of the rules of acquisition. <laughs> I so they're basically like rule number whatever. No yo mama jokes. <laughs> it's like basically I I like want it to be like written that way. <laughs> Are you ready to move on to Dax and Kira? Yeah. So as the station is getting evacuated, one of the runabouts makes a stop. Because 
There is, Lee remembers that there are old abandoned sub-impulse fighters that the, the Bajoran resistance used to have stash on the moon. So one of Dax's previous hosts, um, I think it was Tobin, the second host, mm-hmm. has experience with those kind of old engines. So Dax gets to go with Kira <laughs> that to was... try and... S- go Sorry. ahead. I was going to say that was all very convenient. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, I found that was. to be very funny. I was like, oh, that's so helpful that some random ass ship from 10 years ago can possibly be available for Kira to take the evidence. And one of Dax's previous hosts may know how to start it up. I was like, this is ridiculous. And I am here for it. <laughs> oh, and even the way that it's like, how often does Ben do this? Just go to Jadzia and do, do any of your previous hosts have any <laughs> convenient skills that can help us in this exact moment? Because the plot needs it to. <laughs> But I also feel like Dax could have just spoken up. Like, I don't know that she... She's the type that would just, like, suggest that if it was needed. So, (laughs) unless she wasn't, like... Like, Dax... Like, Cisco asking Dax, that implies that Dax wasn't paying attention to the conversation, to me. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. It's just... (laughs) It was very. Silly. It is what it is. Yeah. It's like yeah. So we get to this. Um, um, was it like a moon or something? I don't know. Yeah. I, we get to the moon. And moon it's, or other dead form. And it's like dusty as fuck. And Dax is like, I'm allergic to bug bites. And I was like, Me too, girl. Me too. Because <laughs> I. Do you have a symbiote? <laughs> yes. Um. No. But I. I often get like whenever I get bitten by a mosquito, like well, maybe one out of seven times it happens that that fucker blows up to be like five inches of like inflamed it mostly happens on like my thigh when i get bit it's like oh now i just look like i have a disease on my leg so (laughs) but it's just a mosquito bite just a mosquito bite um Um, did you think that paluco or however you pronounce it were cute because i was all about those little critters (laughs) It's just is that a dog <laughs> no it's a bajoran palaku spider uh i loved it i just I and was... then dax is like did you have them up pets and kira's like no we ate them <laughs> uh, everything that was involving kira and dax in this episode was gold for me i just i loved it um i really enjoy watching dax be like a little bit of a baby and like watching kira be like it's fine because historically, like, and this happens, like, later on, is Dax is often the one that's, like, it's fine. Because she's had so much experience in life. So it's just really funny to see her interact with all these Bajoran things and being, like, a little freaked out. And Kira being, like, yo, chill. We're all good. Yeah, it it kind of reminded me a couple of years ago, um, I met some friends who had just moved here from the uk and they also like like camping in the uk and i camp a lot here um so we were just talking about that and you know differences and things you have to do and you know i i tent um so like yeah at the end of kind of the night or when you're not at the site you know i pack up all my food and all of that put it back in the coolers and put it back in the car and you know the ideas of keeping a like bear smart or like bear safe or animal safe yeah that makes sense campsite right and they looked at like their eyes just went huge and looked at me like that 
there could be bears in the council. I mean, like, <laughs> yeah, not usually, but like yeah. potentially. I mean, like, don't let out food mean? for them. <laughs> you don't want to yeah. attract. Just seems so obvious. And I think I probably pushed back their starting camping in, <laughs> in Alberta by about like at least two or three months as they. they um, well, at least it wasn't like a whole year it. where they were like, we no. can't go camping until we run up about these bears. <laughs> no. No, I think they have a big trailer now. So oh, nice. They're, they're into it and do that. So they, they did the test. Nice. My, my friends just bought trailer, um, a van and named it Vanny DeVito. And they like. Nice. Had, and I think their van, you can put a tent on top of it, actually, too. Oh, that's cool. Which is really cool. That's and cool. they have, like, the, like, shade where you, like, comes off of the side. And it, I have oh, to yeah, go out yeah, to yeah, California yeah. and see Vanny DeVito in person. Going to California, gonna live the life, sipping the tequila. I um, I I also think about the little Palaku. Um, I just really like furry spiders. I think they're cute. I was watching Doctor No again recently. We all, I think we know now that I love James Bond. Um, and how many hours did you talk about James Bond in a different podcast recently? Um, about six. Actually, that will be that will be out already by the time you um, you hear this, listeners. I am. I did a little mini series on James Bond w- with the podcast uh, Monkey Off My Backlog. You may remember um, previous guest Tessa. That's her other one of her other podcasts. So that should be out now. Um, but yeah, last weekend we recorded for almost six hours. <laughs> It was wonderful, but also I felt like a zombie afterwards. <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So, so it was like a, a real living daylight situation. <laughs> um, yes. No, live and let die. Live and let die situation. Fuck. Wait. Wrong movie. I'm trying to know what re- what you're referencing. Well, listen, I haven't actually, okay, so I haven't actually seen Live and Let Die, oh. but that was the first Roger Moore one. Isn't that the one that's like a little voodoo and like zombie-ish? Aren't they like, I don't remember like kind of do- it no? being zombie-ish, but it's definitely voodoo-ish. Just voodoo-ish? Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, well. That movie is very problematic, but I still like it. I mean, I didn't, Seymour, right? I didn't like it the first time, but I kind of liked it the second time. I basically embraced the ridiculousness that is Roger Moore's James Bond Anyway, so I I did enjoy that the little, I don't even know what kind of vehicle they were like in, but the whatever ship they started up that was 10 years old, I love that Dax was like, how did you fight anyone in this? Because it's like a piece of shit, clearly. Um, And Kira was just like, we were the insects, Lieutenant. Cardassians were just as allergic as Trills. I thought that was awesome. Kira had all the good lines in this episode oh, that's another favorite they're talking about like seat of the pants technology yeah. and like dax has like gotten like the engines going and it's on fire and it's like well the targeting sensors don't work and kira's like come on and she's like yes i know seat of your pants technology and dax is like or kira's like no you'd literally just point and shoot it's yeah <laughs> she's like just use your eyesight please do you think yeah. that this was a conversation, like a meta conversation about how Starfleet or maybe Star Trek in general relies too much on technology? I think potentially. I think you could definitely read it that way. Um, and just kind of out of out of their comfort zone. And again, like, 
shows how Deep Space Nine can be a bit different from like yeah its predecessors and maybe a little you know. more creative in their methodology and like how they do things. Which I don't have a full yeah. thesis on this, but I definitely think it was supposed to be like a making fun of TNG a little bit type of yeah, commentary or maybe, in like good fun or maybe, yeah i don't know like i or like i think definitely setting itself apart for sure because like and i think maybe that's something worth tracking now that now that i think about it as we go across kind of season two because mm-hmm. season two would have been airing like concurrently with um the final season of of TNG, oh, okay right um so yeah, I don't like the ways that like, and obviously like Voyager was coming like right after like right. Voyager premiered, the fall after DS Nine ended, um, but yeah, maybe just just something worth yeah worth tracking as I, we go. I also really like how supportive Kira is of Dax here. Like, she's telling her to use her eyesight, but she's also not saying it in like a condescending way. She's like. You know, telling her friend, like, I have faith in you, you can do this. And then that gets kind of put the other way around later when they've landed and they're inj- and Kira's injured. And Dax basically is like, you can walk, you know. And obviously she can until she passes out. But thankfully they were found. Um, Vedic Burrell's um, crew found them and because apparently everyone saw their ship go down. <laughs> I really enjoyed the like Dax and Kira dress up like religious figures to go to get into the Chamber of Ministers um, plot. Yeah, yeah. It was really fun, and it was fun. Dax looked really hot with a Bajoran nose. Not that Terry Farrell and she knew nose it too. Isn't. Yeah, she knew it. She was like, "I might keep this." But that was and- another thing, though, too. That it's like who. Who gave her the prosthetic, like, notes? Because normally when, like, someone's surgically altered on, on Star Trek to look like a different species, like, even going as far back as when Kirk was dressed up like a Romulan in, in the original series, it's, like, the doctors in sickbay who do it. So, like, who in the monastery had the surgical knowledge and the tools to give Dax a Bajoran nose? I have a different headcanon about what happened. Okay, tell what, please lay it on me. Vedic Burrell is a very big fan of the theater, and <laughs> they the it was like he's like in the theater club of the Vedics, and he remembered that the last play they actually cast someone who wasn't Bajoran to play a Bajoran character. I know it's really controversial, but that person had to wear a prosthetic <laughs> nose. And so that nose still existed, and they gave it, and Vedic Burrell had given it to Dax for this purpose. (laughs) Okay. That works. I'm glad you liked that. (laughs) Oh, man. Oh, man. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, um, I didn't go as far as to consider what the play was about or anything. <laughs> no, or or how they would have cast an Amajoran in a play during the Cardassian occupation, but well, you know, it could have been play from last week. We don't know. Anyway. <laughs> One thing I found interesting after when they finally give the evidence over to the Chamber of Ministers is that Wynne's involvement in everything gets kept secret. She's like, hey, look at this evidence. Um, I didn't know anything about this. I mean, obviously she and Jaro didn't know. Well, I think it's obvious. Didn't know the Cardassians were involved. But I do like how she's like, just there's like a switch goes off and she's like, oh, I know nothing about this. Like, you can see it in her face. Yeah, that was a great moment. And, like, the when, like, Jaro realizes that, like, he won't get out of it and is basically one of his most staunch allies and, like, collaborators or collaborators that we've seen over the course of the this arc of episodes has the political fortitude to see which way the, the wind is blowing and that basically to cut bait with him and cut him loose and just, ah, uh, such a good moment. It makes such a good moment. Yeah, and it makes me think that Jaro has no proof that she was involved because he probably would have told someone. Yeah. If he did. Yeah. And he... Totally. Yeah. Um, I do like that they had the scene where General Krim... I guess to more wrap up the episode where General Krim kind of hands command of Deep Space Nine back over to Starfleet. Um, That was really, I think that was important because it just, that was something that needed to happen. This wouldn't have been like, okay, everything's fine now. Like it had to, I don't know, that made it more real maybe. Yeah. And and I think that like, whether it was like necessary or necessary, like, not or whatever it's like um a nice moment and like because like the general's been recalled he knows he's gonna like he's gonna suffer the political consequences and be asked to resign for for participating in the coup but it's like he recognizes that he picked the wrong side that he's been beaten that he was used and manipulated and that ben and starfleet played a played a part in shutting this all to light and he was played so it's kind of like a an old like tip of the cap kind of handshake where it's like yeah thanks bud for saving me from myself i felt really sad for kira in the scene where she had told basically everyone's celebrating and kira is just really devastated that lee nullis is dead and I mean, Kira was never involved in the conversations that he had with Cisco, where he, like, explained about the underwear story and how he feels like all of this hoopla around him is, like, unearned. Um, and Cisco and, like, you know, she, she leaves and O'Brien's like, that doesn't, you know, the way she speaks about him doesn't feel like the man that we met. And, and Cisco's very much like, and this is, we spoke about this a little bit earlier. Cisco's yeah. basically like, just drop it. Like, this is basically, Lee Nallis is the symbolic hero that Bajor deserves and needs, is Cisco's thought on this. 
and it doesn't matter if the the accuracy doesn't matter from like how Lee Nollis actually acted to versus the symbol, how it's believed. Yeah, and like it, it's not that like Lee wasn't competent or didn't have you know skills or couldn't take orders or like and even like earlier during the siege when like julian's leading one of the teams to to capture the first uh security folk or bajoran militia like folks doing the coup um o'brien even like knows lee has the experience where he he, like asks cisco if like julian's up to the task if they need to send someone like lee with a little more experience and ben says no because he knows to keep lee close to him um, cause we can be used right. as a symbol and a tool and, and Jaro even wants to capture him to use him as a tool to further his own, you know, yeah, he doesn't want coup. him to become a martyr and Julian handles yeah. himself well, although that looked like the easiest of the action sequences that they needed to do in the episode. <laughs> no, uh, for sure. So I, I think like O'Brien, like saying like that wasn't the Lee I knew. It wasn't like him saying, "Oh, he's a total loser." No, I, I didn't take it that out. way. Either. No, 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 no. I don't think you did. I'm just, yeah. I'm just thinking out loud. Oh, sorry. Right? Mm-hmm. No, sorry. Sorry for the confusion. Um, but yeah, I just we, I don't need to relitigate my. Feelings. <laughs> I mentioned them out of order earlier. Where yeah. it's just like, how dare you? I, I get it, but like, yeah, yeah, I get it, but. It's interesting, That's though. Kind of, yeah. I think of it, it's, I mean, I don't, I mean, obviously some people care about whether they're remembered after they're gone, and some people don't care about that kind of thing. But I feel like the type of guy that Lee Nollis thought he was wouldn't, wouldn't, isn't someone that would have been remembered for anything, like just historically. Do you have anything else to say about the episode before we get into our regularly scheduled uh, segments? No, I, I mean, I, I think we did it. I'm sure like every other time we record, I'll think of something as soon as we <laughs> hang up the call. But uh, I think for right now, I'm, I'm good. Are you feeling a little thirsty? I mean, I am. I have been talking for about 50 some odd minutes. <laughs> I have been occasionally taking a sip of beer, um, but it hasn't quenched my thirst enough. So I think <laughs> that it's time to talk about the Altair Water Thirst Quencher of the episode. Um, Matt, would you like to go first? Yeah, I mean, no, but I will. <laughs> um, it's probably not a great look, Um but when when Wynne turns on Jaro in the Chamber of Ministers and just the way she just has the political aptitude to be like, nope, fuck this guy, I'm cutting him loose, I still want to, like, you know, I can live to fight another day to be Kai. Um, yeah, it was kind of cool. Yeah. <laughs> so what you're saying is that manipulation and calculating behavior We don't is have hot. to unpack that, at least. <laughs> you and the listeners don't You know I love that. unpacking our weird opinions. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, what about you? What about you, Elise? Who are you? I was definitely you thirsting. thirsting. I was definitely thirsting for my girl Dax, who, as we said, finally had stuff to do in this episode that wasn't just about being trill. She's hot. She's getting shit done, but she's also unsure of herself at times, and I felt that made her very um, relatable. 
So, yeah, that Bajoran nose, though. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> what was your, your candidate for the most Star Trek thing of the episode? Um, and this, so this might actually be like a general TV trope rather than just specific to Star Trek, but just the fact that like after two episodes of this arc, Linalis finally starts to like become or act in the way that's expected of him. And I don't mean that in like a, that isn't like a value judgment. That's just, that's what happened. Like, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but after that happens, he dies anyway. (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah that would be mine that would be my candidate too and and again we've we've talked last week and i talked earlier this episode how it's like you have your your frank langella arc or your your richard baymore arc it ends one or two ways so yeah well elise until next time where can folks find more of you on the internet yes you can find me on twitter and letterbox at elise underscore tendy E-L-Y-S-E underscore T-E-N-D-I. You can find the show on Twitter and Instagram at Podraiths, P-O-D-W-R-A-I-T-H-S. And you can also email us at Podraiths at gmail.com. And you? Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd as well at Mattyhugh, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. Please remember to rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And as always, thank you to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song. And until next time, computer, end program. Bye.